Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. So we're going to come around the Word of God. Um, I'm reading from Matthew chapter 27 from verse 11. Verse 11. Okay. Praise God. Father, I just pray. Oh, Daddy in heaven. Speak to your people. Speak through me, God. Teach us all anew, afresh, of the awesomeness of what you did, the incredible power of what you achieved what it means for all of us, and how our lives can be fully changed today by what you're about to say this morning, God. Father, I thank you for the opportunity and the privilege of reading your word this morning. Thank you, Daddy. In Jesus' name, amen. So reading from verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. When Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that man, that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. I can't do a woman's voice. But it was written down. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. So what shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. And when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. And all the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But yet Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Let's continue a bit on 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand 
Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spat on him and took the staff, struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. Courtroom. Have an image of a courtroom here in this day and age is for me it's a, a terrifying place to be. Just four walls, but a courtroom it's the tension, the the anxiety of it, you've got the judge with his wig on thing, you've got these hard hitting barristers grilling the defendant, you've got people presenting their evidence. You know, you, you can hardly speak. The tension, you can cut the atmosphere of a knife. It's so thick in a courtroom, isn't it? Who's ever been in a courtroom? It's tense, isn't it? And even as a spectator in the spectator's public gallery bit, if you like, you can't hardly dare sneeze. They'll look at you and think, ooh, you know, who's sneezing? You can't do anything in a courtroom. It's, it's a tense situation. You know, there's the the accusation, the charge, then all the evidence presented. Sometimes days and months it takes. Then there's the, the verdict. And then the sentence, if it's a guilty verdict. What does God know about courtrooms? What does God know? But well, here he is, Jesus, at the thick of it in a courtroom situation. You know, sometimes as well in, in courtrooms, injustices are carried out. False evidence is given. People have suffered imprisonment and they're innocent. Whatever it could be, corruption, we don't know. You know, only God knows. But sometimes the innocent are jailed and sometimes the guilty walk free. I mean, I remember a time when I was 13 or 14. I served a punishment and I didn't do anything. I was at school. I had to hand a biology assignment in. Yeah. (laughs) I ain't forgotten. But now I understand. See, God told me, 33 years later, you're going to use this as a testimony. I work all things for good, says the Lord. Okay, so as I'm saying, I didn't know this. But I I had to hand a biology assignment in. I went to a class to hand it in and there's another class of two or three years older than me ready for their lesson but I just put it on the teacher's desk and left. As it came to the next biology lesson for me a few days later the teacher was reading out a list of people who hadn't handed their homework in and my name was on that list. And I said, no, 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 no. I knew I put my biology assignment on your desk and I actually protested. I protested. And she goes, no, you didn't. Where is it? And we turfed over the desk. I said, put it there. And no, it's not there at all. She goes, you're going to serve a detention with all the others. So there I was, serving a detention, writing lines, I must hand my homework in. And I'm thinking, I handed my homework in. I handed my homework in. I handed my homework in. So I served a sentence that I did not deserve. So said I. But I did hand it in. Sometime later, I noticed in her classroom, there was a shelf high up. And I got the courage one day, got the chair, stood up, pulled some books off, and my work was on top of that pile. 
And I demonstrated, I said, look, my book work was always on that top. It must have been that, those Philistines in year 10 who put it on there. That's what it was their fault. And he goes, well, it's too late now. Can't undo an attention. So you serve, sometimes that happens. We're punished for things we didn't do. And this is what Jesus faced. Really. So the charge against Jesus in this case, in verse 11 was, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so. Jesus replied. You have said so. Yes, it is as you say. That should be enough. When God speaks, that should be enough. Why should we say any more? He is. God speaks us enough. I am who I am, he said to Moses in Exodus. I am who I am. I don't need to say any more. In this world when we have so much materialism and so much things, God gets smaller and all the things get bigger. But nature cries out. The heavens declare his glory. The earth is beautiful. But the more we have, you see, materialistic, the beauty of the world, our reliance on God gets smaller. If you travel the world and we meet indigenous tribes or people who have not been infected by materialism, (laughs) they're worshipping nature or trees or gods. They appreciate the world. God is speaking through his creation. But it's been drowned out by our things that we've created and filled our lives with. God's got smaller. The voice of the things we've done are drowning out God's glory around us. The heavens, the stars, the earth. The beauty of the birds in the garden. We laugh at them, but they're beautiful. You know, God hasn't got to say much. I love the book of Job. 42 long chapters. If you're on a daily reading plan, it takes a while to get through Job. The 42 long chapters in Job, for 39 of them, Job and his three amigos, right? They're trying to be philosophical and they're trying to work out God. They're trying to say, oh, Job, you're this because of God. They're trying to work out why God's punishing Job. And for 39 long chapters, two months of daily reading plan, it goes on and on and on. They're trying to work out God. God comes in near the end. And two chapters out of 42, he says, I am who I am. And then Job responds. And God says, now what, Job? What are you going to say to that? Comparing those 39 chapters before, Job only speaks six lines. I think I'll shut my mouth, Lord. You are who you are. You are who you are. And Jesus says, it is as you say. I am the king of the Jews. So today, congregation, your ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I'm going to present to you a case that Christ is the king. And at the end of it, you need to decide, is he or not? But I will warn you, your decision has eternal consequences. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, 
does God speak today? What about personal testimony? Ten years ago, a few months into our marriage, I didn't know the Holy Spirit. I knew God. But God, I had doubts about God. I then started accumulating books on atheism. Rows of them. I was channeling, I had the Bible and I had all these books. There I was investigating like Job's friends, trying to work out the meaning. I was challenged. Challenged for months. Lily was going crazy in the background. She was, on the face of it, she was showing grace and love. But I kept struggling with this. But then God took Lily away for five weeks to Colombia to see her sick mother at the time. And I went to bed that first night. Rows of books of atheism, the Bible. I said, okay, God, I'll challenge you. For three hours, he picked me up, threw me on the bed. Visions, sweating, shaking. I had an encounter with God that night. He says, I am who I am. Don't doubt anymore. I've taken her away. So you get to know me. When you have an encounter with the living God, you're never the same again. You're never the same again. I want to encourage those who are partners or loved ones who are away from God. You keep praying. Pray they have an encounter with God. But little did I know that when Lily went to Columbia, she was fasting and praying with her sisters and brothers. Saying, please God, may Steve have an encounter with you. There's a word for someone today. Just keep praying. Once they have an encounter, that's it. There's no going back. Hallelujah. He is good. He is so good. You want some more evidence? If Jesus wasn't the Christ... Surely after the death on the cross, that would have been it. That would have been it. What was it that brought up people to give them this brave heart, this courage to proclaim the message of Christ? Surely the death of the leader, that would have been it. It would have squashed the whole movement. The disciples, they were all running scared at the time. They were in hiding. All the followers were in hiding. So what was it that made him from cowards to be martyrs for Christ? What happened to them? Well, Andrew, Bartholomew, James, Matthew, Philip and Simon, they were eventually crucified for their faith. Peter, he was crucified upside down. James, the brother of Jesus, was stoned to death. James, the son of Zebedee, was killed by the sword. Tadeus was killed by arrows. And Thomas by a spear. It was only John who died natural causes in an island far, far, far away. Where God saved him really to write the conclusion parts of the Bible. The book of Acts and Revelation, which I'm going to read from a little bit later on. Why would you die for a lie? Because they've all encountered the risen Jesus. 
Because he's alive. Once you experience Jesus, it gives you the Holy Spirit. John 16, 7. Jesus talks about it. It's better that I go so I can send the Holy Spirit to be with you always. They've all encountered the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul too. Persecuting Christians he was one moment. Jailing them, killing them. Then suddenly writing them the letters and proclaiming the message of Jesus himself and ready to die for him. What was it? He'd encountered Jesus. And there's people here today who are going to encounter Jesus in a deeper, more beautiful way. He is so wonderful. He is so beautiful. No man would die for you. Jesus. 31 years later, after Jesus' death, in Rome, more evidence. 31 years later, the emperors of Rome, they're pretty tough cookies. Some of them are mad, just like to kill people. They're fanatics. Emperor Nero of Rome. There was a fire in Rome in AD 64. Three quarters of Rome was destroyed. And some of the people blaming Nero for this for some reason, because they were trying to deflect attention away from him, or he was mad, or whatever it was. But to appease the people, he blamed it on Christians. Where did they come from? Where did they come from? Out of nowhere, Christians have appeared because they've encountered Jesus. 31 years later, groups of Christians were persecuted and blamed for this fire. In the most torturous death. But after that, it wasn't just for the fire that they were blamed for. It was because they were Christians. Just because they were Christians. They were tortured. There's an account from a Roman historian called Tacitus. He was a young boy in the time of the persecution. He wrote this a few years later. Listen to this. He wrote a few years later. Therefore, to stop the rumour that he, as Emperor Nero, had set Rome on fire, he falsely charged with guilt and punished the most fearful tortures, the persons commonly called Christians, who were generally hated. Christus, Jesus, the founder of that name was put to death as a criminal by Pontius Pilate, governor of Judea. But the superstition, quashed for a time in Judea, broke out yet again, not only through Judea, where the mischief originated, mischief originated, but the city of Rome. And then it carries on to record the nature of their deaths. Horrific they were. These people, these Christians, our brothers, dying. What for? Why would you die like that? If someone says you're a Christian, you're going to die a horrible death. Why would you say, yes, I'm a Christian? What is our story going to be? Then, surely that was the end of it. That's killed them off. But no. Hundreds more years later, AD 269, two days it's Valentine's Day, St. Valentinus tortured a three-way death for his faith in Rome. Hence St. Valentine, who's honoured for his martyrdom for Christ again. 
all through the centuries, all through the decades, Christians are being persecuted for their faith. Because Jesus is alive today. That's why. That's the evidence, people. Christ is the king. Because people are ready to die for his faith over and over again. Here is just a little booklet from Open Doors. 50 countries where Christians today are persecuted. Meeting in underground churches. Ready to die for him. Because they've tasted him. They've seen him. They've stripped away all the materialism, you see. They don't want that. They just want the saviour of the world. Your own testimony is some evidence for yourself. So after the charge and the evidence, people of the ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you need to reach a verdict. You can't stop the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is unstoppable. He's unstoppable. I'm telling you. He is unstoppable. No government, no faction, no enemy can stop him. Pontius Pilate, what's he going to do? He hasn't got much to go on in this trial. Jesus isn't saying much. The defendant, in verses 12 and 13, when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, Jesus gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. He's sitting there thinking, this guy is not saying nothing. What am I going to do? But worse comes for Pilate. More evidence, really. In verse 19, he gets a letter from the wife. Whoosh, a letter from the wife. Verse 19, while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Close message. What's he going to do? There's thousands of people baying for the blood of Jesus. A note from his wife. Man, don't you know anything? The wife is always right. The wife is right. Oh, man. Life's big lesson. The thousand people out there, no, 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 no. The wife is right. Can you imagine Pilate taking the letter from his wife saying, Hey, people, letter from the wife. Sorry, you're wrong. It ain't going to happen today. See ya. Go home. He was in turmoil. The voice of his wife. She had an encounter with Jesus. How can Jesus have an encounter with someone while he's been held in under house arrest? How can he appear to, to Pilate's wife, Claudia Procula, the name? What happened? The diary of events probably went like this. You see, the night before, Pilate probably met with the Jewish leaders, saying, look, your governor, we want to bring to you a prisoner tomorrow, another Jewish person who we want you to sentence for us. He's a, he's a rebellion. 
can you meet us tomorrow morning? It was all hurriedly arranged, you see. Hence the, the quick arrest in the garden. It was all hurriedly arranged. And so he would have gone to bed that night. His wife would have said, who's that? What do they want? Oh, there's those Jewish guys. They want me to sentence to death another Jewish rebellion tomorrow. Okay, but that Jesus guy is quite good, isn't he? Well, they think he's a rebel. So they would have gone to bed that night. Then she had that dream. She remembered the conversation with her husband. She would have woke in the morning with the bed empty. Where, where are you? Oh no, he's gone. He's gone to that, that trial. I've got to tell him. Hurriedly write the note. You can sense the urgency in the note. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. For I have suffered a great deal in a dream because of him. The urgency in the note. Very urgent. So the messenger would have come, collected the message, ran to the trial, delivered in Pilate's hand as he was sitting on the seat. Should have swayed him. Oh, the letter from the wife. He knows what he's got to do. He knows what he's got to do. That voice is in you too. We have to listen to the voice of God. The crowd's obeying. The world is calling. It's trying to drown out the voice of God. Listen to the voice of God. Imagine a conversation when he got home that night. <laughs> Did you get my note? Uh, yes, I got your note, Diane. Thank you. Are oh, you letting him go then? Well, I washed my hands of it. Oh, good, you let him go then. Well, actually, you should listen to me. I'm always right. My wife is in my house anyway. <laughs> Thank God for wives. And gentlemen, I must do, uh, urge you actually to listen to your wives. Sometimes when I'm preparing things and um, I say something to what I'm going to say, or Lily speaks her wisdom and she says, what about add this in or just... Maybe tweak that, change that. And I listen to it and I take it on board. We do need to listen to our wives. You know, marriage is two together as one, supporting one another. And that's why God did it. So listen to your wives. You're not always right. And she's always right. Though in this case, Pilate's wife was right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. So you need to reach a verdict, ladies and gentlemen, the jury. But notice that in the crowd, they weren't all in agreement. They didn't all want Jesus to die. In verse 20, it says, But the chief priests, this is when Pilate was reading his wife's note. (laughs) The chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Persuaded. So there must have been some followers there. Others who liked Jesus. But they were persuaded. His kingdom's finished. No need to follow him anymore. He's finished. Jesus is dead. He's not coming back. Yes. Yeah, crucify him. Yeah, okay. Crucify him. There is no God. Yes, yes. And there's people here today. You know he's real. 
He's touched your lives. But people around you saying, there is no God. Read this atheist book. <laughs> I've got loads of them. <laughs> Have them. Actually, they all went in the recycling well, not recycling bin. Yeah, they did. So they all got recycled into good stuff. Maybe printed Bibles on them or something. <laughs> but the best place for them. But that's it. The world's saying, there is no God. People are saying, oh, I'm not going to be a Christian. No, don't believe in it. But I tell you, Jesus is real. Don't be persuaded by the crowd. They persuaded them because they were weak. Don't be weak. Show the love of God. Be graceful. Pray for them. They need their eyes opening and their hearts broken and smashed. They're just wrapped up in this materialistic world where wealth and things mean more. But once that is all stripped away, what do you have? And in tough times, people say, where's your God? You're going through all this. Where's your God? Yeah, okay, maybe there is no God then. He's disowned me. He's never disowned you. He's never let you go. He's never disowned you. Yesterday morning at 8 o'clock, I went to the building supplies to collect some sand and stuff for our house that we're doing. And... um, I met a gentleman there, it's freezing cold morning, wasn't it? You know, dark, grey, cold, and he's all wrapped up, helping me put the sand in the boot. He's from Romania. I said, how are things? He goes, yeah, how are things? He's miserable, he said. Look at the weather. England's always miserable. So I said, well, okay. And, um, and at the end, I said, look, God loves you, man. I says, and things look tough, miserable, and you're, you're not happy, but God is with you. God is with you. He loves you. He's seen what you do here. He's seen you how you minister, what you're doing, and he will reward you. And he, he nearly cried. And he goes, God, I wish God would touch my back. Well, what's wrong with your back? He says, it's agony. It's painful. I have the medicine for it, everything. I'm lifting all this stuff. Let me pray for your back. He goes, that would be good. God touched his back. God healed him. God healed him. And he goes, I never felt this before. And he says, when I was in Romania, he says, when I was little, I used to light a candle in my church. And I used to have that feeling. And this is the first time I felt that feeling again. I said, well, God's never left you. He's telling you today. He's never left you. Though it's dark and miserable, and you're going through a season where you just think, where is God? He's never left you. He touched your back. He loves you. We can take kingdom culture anywhere we go. Even to regions. Even to regions. Praise God. Let's pray for that man. He's a lovely young man. Jesus. Don't be persuaded by the crowd. Always go out tonight for a drink. Try this cigarette. Try this. Don't be persuaded. Be firm. Be firm. Don't be persuaded by late night TV. That's unhealthy. Don't be persuaded. My life's changed when I turn it off. 
get to bed around 10 and just read the Bible, fall asleep on the Bible, read him. What father wouldn't want his child to fall asleep in his arms? Much better than watching late night TV. That does not edify you, it's good for the soul. Do not be persuaded by what's around you. Are we brave enough to face these? We need his Holy Spirit. We need an encounter with him. We've encountered him this morning in a great way this morning. Wonderful worship. Beautiful presence of God. Anointing. Why would you want anything else? So the choice is yours, ladies and gentlemen. I give you Barabbas, the world, if you like, Christ the Messiah. Barabbas, the world, or Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You choose. It requires a decision. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, what shall I do with Jesus who you call the Messiah? Crucify him. Imagine Jesus now standing here. Watching this play out in front of him. Witnessing the crowd. Recognizing those in the crowd who were once following him. But then suddenly shouting Barabbas. We don't want to be like that. You want to be standing out in that crowd saying, Jesus, my Jesus. Out of the hundreds and thousands, you want to be the one with your arm up saying, I love you, Jesus. You're going to stand up for Jesus or be persuaded by the crowd. Because that's what Jesus sees. He sees those in the crowd thinking, you were once following me, but now you're shouting Barabbas. Decisions. Decisions. We go to the blood donor quite regularly. And um, when we drive into the blood donors, we're thinking about that little needle, couple of needles, aren't we? And that little bit of pain. And I love it when Lily goes. She hates the needle. And there's always a yelp on the bed next to me. <laughs> I love it. It's so funny. And I like the way the nurses try and talk to you about the weather and stuff. And they're trying to put a needle in your arm. It ain't going to happen. <laughs> You're putting a needle in my arm. You know. And I like the biscuits at the end and the cakes. That's nice. Something to look forward to. But when Jesus was going through this trial... And through the beatings. And he shed his blood. You know the the blood donor slogan is. uh, Give blood, save a life. Jesus gave his blood to save our lives. And. um, So when we're giving our blood. I'm thinking about pumping through. And they're talking and chit chat. I've got the biscuits to look forward to. I'm not seeing where my blood goes to. I'm not seeing who has it. In the end, all I get a text message now from the blood donor saying, your blood has been issued to Westminster District Hospital. Well, that's nice, because last time was Basildon, you know. This is Westminster Hospital this time. So, but I'm not thinking on my bed, thinking, Mr. Smith's going to get my blood. You know, Miss Smith is going to receive my blood. I'm going to save her life today. But that's what Jesus is thinking. When he's standing there in that trial, He's not thinking about the pain. He's thinking of you. 
He's thinking of you. He's thinking of you. He's thinking of you. My blood is for you. He's not thinking about the cakes and biscuits like I would, like I do on the blood. He's thinking of you. You know, so Pilate is in a position really to pass sentence. Why, what crime has he committed in 23? But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. And when Pilate saw he was getting nowhere, but then instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood. It is your responsibility. That's what he would have told his wife. All the people answered, his blood is on us and our children. What an oath to say. Then he released Barabbas to them. Jesus was flogged and handed to be crucified. He washed his hands of it. There's an uproar, you see. And Pilate, to be a governor, a Roman governor, you had to be a tough cookie, you know. These weren't weak men. He was sentencing people every day to death. Hundreds, thousands over the time. It was easy. The Roman army machine, this is what it did. They enforced authority in the regions where they went. They weren't scared. This is just another prisoner. But Pilate is rocked to his core. He was a strong man, Pilate. This is nothing to him. Another Jewish prisoner. But he knew there was something about this guy. He was a wreck. He was dithering. He was dithering. Another piece of evidence there. What was it? It was Jesus who chose the cross. After the mocking, the spitting, the beating. In verse 31, we read, After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. Without a word. Just did it all quietly. Another piece of evidence in history. Some 700 years before in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, verse 7, God revealed to Isaiah. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Jesus, our lamb, led away to be crucified, led like a lamb to be slaughtered. All through history. God is working from the Old Testament right through today. His Holy Spirit is here. It's in countries all over the world where Christians are being persecuted now. Living for Jesus. God chose the cross. Now I work in church restoration for 30 years now. And I've designed many crosses and crucifixes for churches. Because it's the cross That's spread all over the world on churches all over the world. The cross that signifies God entering the world. We have a choice. You can wash your hands of it. But to abstain, to abstain from saying Christ is the king or not, is to condemn him. 
You have a choice. The reason the cross offends many people is because it requires a decision. It requires a decision that has eternal consequences. And over the preceding weeks with Pastor Phil, he shared many verses, actually, that I want to come to a close shortly with this. But in Hebrews 9.27, we too will face court one day. Verse 27, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. Oh, you think about your worst sin and it's gone. Jesus paid for it. At the cross. So glorious. I'm praying that this morning I was. I was looking at God and just worshipping him and loving him. Thinking of the worst things I've ever done. And rejoicing with him because he's paid for it. Surrender your heart to him. The evidence, I think, is compelling. All over the centuries, the rise of the church, the power of the Holy Spirit is unstoppable. In 1 John 4.17 The love of God, you see, is precious. And this is how our love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. So when we accept Christ, on that day we can stand and Jesus will stand with us. I took the punishment they deserve, Lord. He set us free. That's why we sang. That's why it was on my heart to sing that this morning. Because he paid for my sin and set me free. We can rejoice. Hallelujah. What is the courtroom like? In God. Well, John, I mentioned earlier. The one who died, the only disciple that died naturally, exiled on an island, wrote this in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. This is the judgment day. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Jesus. The day of judgment, Jesus will stand with you. He's wonderful. His beauty takes my breath away. I don't deserve. I don't deserve the things I've done, but he did it. 
to set me free. To set me free. And God is so good. His Holy Spirit works for those who are really walking in Him. Believe me, if you walk every day in His, with your ear tuned into Him and living your life for Him, He will speak to you every day. And last week, I was going to the dentist. And I'm always praising God. Those who know me know that in my car is only worship. In my home there's only worship music. I'm around worship music. I don't want the music of the world. I'm in tune with him. And as I was going to the dentist, I booked in. I sat down. A few minutes later, a lady came in. She registered. She was about to sit down. And the receptionist called out to her. Mrs. Callahan. Are you here today, Mrs. Callahan? No. I remember the name. Sorry, you've missed your appointment. It's not 10.20. Oh, she says, I thought my appointment was 10.40, she says. And I was sitting there thinking, I'm the 10.40. You're not having that one. And they were having this kerfuffle on the reception, trying to sort out she was a bit distressed because she'd come from a long way. But then the power of God touched me. He took me up next to them. I said, excuse me, ladies, I've overheard your conversation. You have my appointment. I'll have yours. Oh, really? And they were all going, oh, loving it. <laughs> all three of them. There's two receptions her. Oh, you're so sweet. You're so lovely. La, la, la. And I was lapping it up. I was receiving. Yeah, I know. When's the next appointment, I says? March the 6th. Great. March the 6th, you wait March 6th, there's going to be a testimony at that dentist. When I go back, they'll say, didn't you have an appointment before? Ah, but I exchanged it because God took my place, so I took their place. And I came out of there, and I got in my car, and I was driving back. I tell you, people, the power of God filled my car. I started to blub like a baby. The presence of God filled my car, and I was just tipping tears down my face. I I was putting the wipers on and and they weren't going. I was going, what is going on? Lord, you're talking to me. What is it? What is it? I took your appointment. I took your appointment. He said, I took your appointment. And I heard his voice. He goes, next week, tell my people I took their appointment. I took your appointment. I took your appointment. And I was crying. It was the presence of God was just beautiful. I was rejoicing. He took our appointment so we can be set free. The choice is yours. Is Christ the King? Or not? When the jury go out to decide and they come back and before they reach their verdict, the judge would say, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, have you reached the decision? And they say, yes. Then there's a pause. Then there's a hush over the whole courtroom. Just a moment. Come on. There's a hush. There's a complete silence, isn't there? Waiting for that moment. Just bow your heads and close your eyes and just think of that courtroom now. and Just let Jesus minister to you for a moment in the quietness of your heart. 
Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you took our place. Thank you, Father. Welcome to the King's Cost. Dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast.